Well, this has been a fun series for me. I hope it has been for you. The idea that, uh, the big idea has been that we're not just here to be informed about our faith, but to be formed. And this morning, we're capping things off with the idea that we're formed by guidance. And of course, that means that we're guided through prayer. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Let's pray together. God, bless us now through your word, not only to our minds that we may understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read to you a, kind of a resume of an historic figure and see if you can picture who this might be. He failed in business at age 22, ran for legislature and uh, was defeated at 23, again failed in business at age 24. Elected to legislature in uh, 25, age 25, his sweetheart died at age 26. He had a nervous breakdown at age 27. He was defeated for speaker at 29, defeated for elector at 31, defeated for Congress at 34, elected to Congress at 37, defeated for Congress at 39, defeated for Senate at age 46, defeated for vice president at age 46. Defeated for the seventh, for the Senate at 49. Elected President of the United States at age 51. You know who that is? Lincoln. Lincoln. He has, for me, been the picture of perseverance when I think of historic figures. He is a persevering figure for me. And perseverance is a key to guidance. I want to put those two concepts next to each other today. That if we're going to be guided through prayer, then we have to. So let's take a look at the way perseverance and guidance shapes us. It shapes us because when, when we persevere in prayer, then we're guided to personalize prayer more, to clarify what we're looking for, and to elevate, to elevate our vision in prayer. Personalize, to clarify, to elevate. Let's take a look. So first of all, when, when we persevere in prayer, we are guided to personalize the one to whom we're praying. You think, well, that's kind of obvious. Well, not necessarily. Isn't it true that a lot of times when we pray, what we're trying to do is make sure we're rubbing the lamp just right so that the genie will give us what we want? I mean, isn't that often what we're trying to do? I mean, God is often a means to an end. But when we knock and keep on knocking, and see, that's, that's really, if you look 
if you look closely at, at what, what this is saying, there's an intensifying ask and seek and knock. But also, this is a time when it's important to understand the grammar here, that this is a continuing verb. It's a present active indicative that has this idea that uh, really keep knocking, knock and keep on knocking. Not just a one-time event, not just ask and it's done, not just rub the, the lamp just right and the genie will come out and grant you your three wishes, but ask and keep on asking. Because when we do, when, when we ask and keep on asking, we begin to recognize that we're not just talking to some blind force that we're talking to a personal God. You see this throughout the Psalms. You read through the 150 Psalms, especially the first, you know, 80 of them, and you see David repeating himself. I mean, he's praying the same prayer over and over again. And sometimes he, you can read some of what David writes, and you think, is he allowed to pray that? <laughs> right? Now, you felt that, haven't you? Am I allowed to ask this? God? And the answer is yes. 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 Don't you love it when someone's mad at you that they talk to you instead of everybody else? Don't you appreciate I mean, it's uncomfortable, right? I mean, if somebody's upset with you and they come to you and say, hey, I wish that you hadn't done this or I wish you would do this or you know, I was kind of upset with you about that. that. That could be kind of uncomfortable. But you know what? The alternative is that they stuff it and never talk to you about it. And then there's some kind of wedge between you. Or they talk to everyone else about you. And you know what that does? That makes you into an object. It kind of objectifies you. It says you're not really a person. You know, I didn't get what I wanted from that, that person, and so I'm going to talk to everybody else because... I just, I need emotional support for the fact that this person didn't get me what I wanted. And God is saying, take the things you want into prayer. Ask and keep on asking. Ask and keep on asking. See, the, the context here is the Lord's Prayer. The context is a picture of someone coming at night. The context is this is what to pray, but here is how to pray it. Persevere. So that's, that's really the first step, is, is to recognize that when we persevere, when we ask and keep on asking, that what ends up happening is we have to deal with the fact that we're talking to God and not to some force that might help us, that if we wish just right, if we wish just on the right star, or if we rub the lamp just right, that we'll get what we want. No, God is the ends, our chief end. And so we don't make him a means into it, uh, to an end. And so asking and asking again personalizes, personalizes. The second is this, it clarifies. And this is the seeking part of it. The first part is about asking and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking is about what do you really want? And do you know what that really is? And is what you really want really good for you? I mean, don't raise your hand, but raise your hand in your mind because you all should be raising your hand as an answer to this question. Have you ever prayed for something that 
turned out later wasn't something that you really needed or even wanted later. Like you prayed for something and you really wanted that thing and you thought that was this, my life will be complete with this. And then you realize later, no, it would have been really bad if that, if I had gotten that. If I had, if I had been the golden retriever who caught the mail truck, that would have been really bad, you know? What am I going to do with it? Uh, and so it, it, look, at, look at verse 11 again. And it says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? I think part of the point is, is that we don't always know our fish from our serpent. It, 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 there, was, there was a fish around the Sea of Galilee that looked uh, a lot like uh, a, a snake. And, and so this, this image is a lot closer than you think it is. Sometimes we, we confuse, we think that when we're asking for something that we really want, we may be asking for the snake. And what, what good father would grant that request? I always think of this, uh, this story about this little girl who wanted to be a bull rider when she grew up. She was 10 years old, and she said, Dad, I want to be a bull rider. And this is just kind of a fictional story. But, you know, so she grows up. She, she, she's about ready to go to college. And she says, Dad, I'd like to, I, I'm ready to go, you know, to, to college. And uh, how are we going to pay for this? He said, well, we can't pay for it because I've invested all of the money. You, at t- age 10, you said you want to be a bull rider. So I have, I have bought this land, and I've bought this whole herd of, of bulls. And so we don't have any money for you to go to college, all right? So, you know, see, at age 10, we don't always know what we need. Now, how old are you right now? And think back 10 years ago. What did you want? Did you have it all figured out 10 years ago? Do you have it all figured out now? Do you know exactly what you need? You see, when we seek and keep on seeking, there's a clarifying that happens. We begin to ask better questions about what we're asking. We, we get perspective, especially when we have to wait if the answer in prayer is wait, then certainly we have to do some examining of our own desires. Uh, Psalm 37.4 says this, Commit your way to the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, the desires of your heart. Now, what are those? Do you know what those are? Do you know what you really, really desire, what your deepest desire is? What if, what if in seeking, God is helping us understand what those desires are, what our greatest desires really are? What if when we seek and keep on seeking, we learn about what we really, really need and what our deeper desires really are? Uh, John Calvin, uh, kind of the prince of theologians of the, um, of the Reformation, mayor of Geneva, uh, wrote the Institutes of the Christian Religion, which is required reading for any, anyone who's uh, thinking about you know, learning theology. He said this. He said, we must not think that God takes no notice of us when he does not answer our wishes, for he has a right to distinguish what we actually need. You're thinking of Garth Brooks right now, aren't you? Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. Well, you know, I take a little bit of issue with it because I think sometimes the answer is, you know, yes, but no. I know you have a deep desire, but the, the thing that you're asking for doesn't line up with your deep desire. And so, yes, but no. That's, that's an answer. It's not an unanswered prayer. It's an answer. Uh, Romans 3.9 says this. There's no one righteous. He's quoting Psalm 53, Ecclesiastes 7, uh, Psalm 14. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. There's no one who seeks God. See, part of what we're doing in persevering when we seek is actually to become a true seeker. It really takes God's grace to make us a true seeker. What are we really seeking? And do we know what that is? And do we know whether it's a serpent or a snake? So seek and keep on seeking. And finally this, when we persevere in prayer, we are guided. We're guided. Because not only does, does that posture in prayer personalize the one to whom we are making the request, not an object, but a person. Not only does it clarify, but it begins to elevate our vision of what it is we do really desire. What is ultimate? We begin to clarify, but we also begin to elevate what should be ultimate for us. What really needs to be ultimate. What do I mean by ultimate? Well, ultimate is the greatest good. What are you organizing your desires around? And that's a big, big deal, especially when we're thinking about not just being informed in faith, but to be formed by faith. What we really desire and the order of our desires has more influence on the shape of your character than anything else. And so we need to have our desires elevated. We need to know that we're knocking on the right door. So um, when, when Beth and I were in uh, Orlando, Florida uh, for a few years, we, had, we were the youngest ones in our neighborhood. I want, I want to tell you about just what it, what it takes to knock and keep on knocking. That's where we are in the sermon is just knock and keep on knocking, elevating your desires, understanding where those desires are. So we were the youngest ones in this neighborhood. We had next door neighbors, uh, the Duncans that were retired and there was a widow across the street, Caroline Brown, um, and, you know, and so on and so on. And so uh, in the middle of the night, it was about 1 or 2 a.m., we got a call, and, um, and Beth said, um, you need to, to go to Trisha's house because uh, her alarm's going off, and, um, and uh, she needs you. So I was kind of groggy, and I went out, and I went outside, and I, I went across the street, and I was knocking on the door. And I was saying, Mrs. Brown, Mrs. Brown, let me in. And I got a call from Beth, and she said, are you knocking on Caroline Brown's door? And I said, yes. And she said, why? And she, I said, you sent me. And she said, I said, Trisha's house. She's, one, she's scared to death in there. She wonders, why are you knocking on her door? <laughs> Sorry, Caroline. I'm going to Trisha's house now. 
we need to knock and keep on knocking because you know sometimes when we do, when we persevere, we say, Lord, I really think this is where I'm supposed to go. I really think this is what I need. A lot of times what we'll discover is we're actually holding the universe hostage to our desires. We're holding God, God hostage to our desires. We're saying, Lord, I will make you ultimate in my life once you do this for me. Now, we don't say that out loud, and we might not even be entirely conscious of it, but that's our real posture in prayer, and that's why sometimes the door doesn't always open right away. And in the process of knocking, we ask, we begin to examine our, our motives. We begin to examine our desires. Aquinas, who was another great theologian, said this. He said, well, what did he say? He said, we see people all around us desperately seeking for peace, desperately seeking for relief from their guilt, desperately seeking for something to fill the emptiness of their souls and their lives. Are you with him? You see that, right? I'm going to go on with the quote, but I want you to start recognizing you've got people like this around you. And, you know, sometimes some of the distractions, some of the conflict, I mean, I, I learned of one just yesterday, uh, conflict in our town. Sometimes it, that just smacks to me of someone who is despairing, that life has no meaning, and they're seeking, and they're seeking. Do you see this around you? Do you recognize that there's a hunger that's misplaced? He goes on, he says this, and we look at them, and we say, from our perspective, we know that the only thing that is going to satisfy that hunger and that thirst within their souls is the living Christ, and we know that. We know that about ourselves, we know that about them. And so since, since they are seeking to have their thirst assuaged and their hunger satisfied, they must be seeking for God. And Aquinas says, no, no, no. People desperately search for the things that only God can give them, while at the same time, they're fleeing from him. A relationship, maybe? as a distraction to fill that void, an accomplishment, even religion itself. We can use God to run from God. And so knock, to knock and keep on knocking is to recognize, and you see at the end of this passage what he says, that God will give what? Right? What will he give? The trip? The accomplishment? The relationship? the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and seek and knock and keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. Because what, what, we're, what we discover in this, this intensive situation where we're asking, seeking, and knocking, what we discover is what we ultimately need. That we may begin to organize around that. Now let me, let me personalize this for you. How big a deal this is that we organize around our ultimate, and that we don't make, we don't confuse the gifts with the giver, right? And make any of the gifts of the giver our ultimate thing. And I'm going to read you a little passage from 
C.S. Lewis's book called The Great Divorce. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with marriage and divorce. The Great Divorce is this vision of heaven and hell. And this is, to me, one of the most poignant passages I've ever read in, in any book anywhere. But it illustrates how important it is that we order our loves, that we order our desires, and that what we're organizing our desire around is truly ultimate. And this is a scene where, uh, and it's kind of a, this fantastic picture of these people who get on a bus and they go to heaven. And they're trying to figure out how do they even, how do they walk on the grass of heaven that is so real and so substantive and they are just waifs in comparison. They are lightweights on the, on the edge of heaven. And here's this woman who has experienced in her lifetime the death of a child. And she is confronting the fact that that child is not the first person that she is, is, is seeing there. It is the first person she wants to see there. And here's how this confrontation goes. One of the most uh, painful meetings we witnessed was between a woman's ghost and a bright spirit who had apparently been her brother. They, they must have met only a moment before we ran across them, for the ghost was saying in a tone of unconcealed disappointment, Oh, Reginald, it's you. Yes, dear, said the spirit. I know you expected someone else. He's implying her son. Can you, I hope you can be glad to see even me just for the present. And she says, I did think Michael would have come, said the ghost, and then almost fiercely, He is here, of course. He's there far up in the mountains. Why hasn't he come to see me? Didn't he know? And her brother says, my dear, don't worry. It will all come out right presently. It wouldn't have done, not yet. He wouldn't be able to see or hear you as long as you are the way you are right now. You'd be totally invisible to Michael. But we'll soon build you up. I should have thought, if you can see me, my own son could. He says, it doesn't always happen like that. You see, I have specialized in this sort of work. Oh, it's work, is it? Snapped the ghost. Then after a pause, well, when am I going to be allowed to see him? There's no question of being allowed, Pam. As soon as it, it's possible for him to see you, of course he will. You need to be thickened up a bit. How, said the ghost. The mono, monosyllable was hard and a little threatening. And he says this, I'm afraid the first step is a hard one, said the spirit. But after that, you'll go on like a house of fire. You will become solid enough for Michael to perceive you when you learn to want something else besides Michael. I don't say more than Michael, not at the beginning. That will come later. It's only the little germ of a desire for God that we need to start the process. Sounds a little bit like a mustard seed, doesn't it? Oh, you mean religion and all that sort of thing. This is hardly the moment. And from you of all people, well, never mind. I'll do whatever's necessary. What do you want me to do? Come on. There, let's sooner begin it. The sooner we begin, then the sooner I can see my boy. I'm quite ready. But Pam, do think. And this is how it ends. Do think. Don't you see that you're not beginning at all as long as you're in that state of mind? You're treating God only as a means 
to Michael, but the whole thickening treatment consists in learning to want God for his own sake. A few weeks ago, we talked about God throwing out a wing here, not just adjusting and fixing the pipes, but renovating the heart to be formed and not just informed in the faith is to recognize that that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God is reforming you around the desires that you were designed to have central to your life. And that, that takes some reforming. That, that takes some fanning in the flame. It takes some persevering in prayer. It takes sometimes adjusting our snakes and our fish. You know, there's a certain kind of music, for example, that, that we all find very catchy, and, and after a while, we're done with it. And there's another kind of music that requires a little bit of an acquired taste to it, and it sticks with us. Don't you know, isn't it true? that our desires are that way, how much more for ultimate things. And so I encourage you, as we leave this series and recognize that we're always talking about being formed every time we get together, that, that as you persevere in prayer, I'm going to leave you just with one easy application. And that is, I'm going to give you two times that you should pray. All right? Two times that will help you understand what it takes to persevere in prayer, that you may be guided. And that is the following time. Number one, times when you feel like it. And number two, times when you don't. Let's pray. Holy God, how we thank you that you have persevered in your gracious goodness to us. Help us respond in kind. For we make this our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.